Hello and welcome to episode 101 of the Nerd Culture Podcast. That's the 101st episode of NCP. Or it's Nerd Culture 101, which means that we are here to learn about nerd culture in the 101 class. I'm glad, yeah. he, I'm glad he said that, because we'll get to that later on in the episode. <laughs> we're going to roll with that. It almost segued. It almost segued. You were a bit early, Luke. A bit early. Yeah, that's okay. That's all right. That's that's what she said. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Ba-boom. <laughs> well, it's got enough to a fine start here between uh, Dave and Luke here, um... Their relationship is going to test some rocky patches this episode. <laughs> oh, don't be like that, Luke. You know I love you. Uh, so yeah, as you can guess from the the episode number, it's, it's, it's the episode after episode 100. It was a huge episode. It uh, had the whole crew and uh, got some good feedback and it was a, a, a crap load of fun. I enjoyed, I enjoyed it a lot. It was cool. A veritable truckload of frivolity. <laughs> frivolity. It was really good. <laughs> it's terrific. <laughs> It was fun. In fact, stop listening to this episode. Go and check out 100 right now. You'll have more fun. Why do you keep saying that? Why do you always bag the episode that you're on and say that other episodes are good? Because he always thinks he's peaked. <laughs> you, you peaked in episode four. Yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> I admit it. According to the downloads. It's, it's all downhill from here. I'm like that fading sports star that, you know... Still has a little bit of credibility based on his past, but really just can't play the game anymore. You were never Obje- a star. Is, uh, yeah, objection, sure. you're, objection, you're on about what credibility do you have? Yeah, exactly. I'm your host, David, and we'll be the NCP crew, Richo. I'm a bit insulted now. I'm, I'm stepping back. That's it, I quit. All right, get out. <laughs> More, <laughs> more <laughs> tiny teddies for the rest of us. You're on the ass on the way out. <laughs> uh, show wouldn't survive without me. Luke. And let's all give him in silence for, you know... Whatever his name is, departure. <laughs> hey, Crystal. I had stuff in my head to say. Luke pushed it out. It's gone. That's the effect that I Luke, have. Get your hand out of my wife's head. <laughs> Hang on a second. Are you saying I'm um, Luke's puppet? Uh, anyway, uh, so for this episode, we'll have uh, some news, some reviews, and uh, as uh, Luke alluded to earlier, our, our movie 101s, uh, which will be. Things that life lessons that we learnt from the movies. So there's a bit of a bit of a, cha- a difference between life lessons that we learnt, you know, the, the nice uplifting things that you can live your life by, versus things. the movie cliche things that we've already done. Yeah, or useful things. Or useful things. Oh yeah, that's a good point. A mixture of useful things. It's not just there's always a, a, a stick of bread sticking out of a grocery bag. No, <laughs> a baguette. <laughs> a baguette. That's right. We not only do we entertain you, but we we educate. Educate. That's good. Educate. Uh, and to top it all off, we have an interview with Tom Taylor from Oz Comic Con. So let's move on to some news. So the first, the first thing I want to touch on is Tom Taylor uh, has announced a book at Marvel. Uh, so he's, uh, he's known as an uh, independent as well as DC writer, Earth 2 and Injustice, but uh, he's just announced that he's doing Superior Iron Man. Oh, right. But uh, yeah, congratulations to Tom Taylor. I mean, he's on fire. It's uh, it's ridiculous. Australia's own Tom Taylor. And uh, talking about Australia's own, Nicola Scott uh, is, is leaving DC. So she's finishing up her contract. No bad blood or anything like that. It's just contracts come to an end. Uh, so she's uh, leaving DC uh, and is going to do some independent stuff. So a bit of vice versa on there. Hmm. So good luck to her. She's awesome. She is awesome. Uh, the other, the other two uh, news items I want to, want to touch on. Uh, we'll, we'll try and be as brief as we can, but you know we're we're pretty opinionated, so <laughs> we'll see how we go. Number one is I was going to mention it in episode one hundred, but I thought it was you know not really the time or the place. But a couple of weeks back, we had an incident on Twitter uh, called hashtag Fire Rick Remender, 
Um, it was started by a blogger who said that uh, his latest issue of Captain America not only included uh, a scene of statutory rape, uh, but also, uh, you know, the whole alcohol and sex sort of thing. So it's basically it's basically involved in the scene between uh, a young female character and uh, Sam Wilson, who's just been announced as the new Captain America, um, uh, having sex, basically, like getting drunk and, and getting it on. Um, and uh, she was quite offended by that and uh, made her feelings known and started this hashtag fire Rick Remender stuff and it sort of went onto Twitter and, and it sort of just you know, created you know what, what's commonly known as, as a, a feces storm. And the whole the whole firing Rick Remender thing is it's, it was a bit over the top. It's, it's all come it's, it's come to a head now obviously because it's been a couple of weeks. Um, it's not only was this was this blogger proven wrong that the scene is not statutory rape at all uh, that the character that. Um, she believed was underage was actually not underage uh, so she was c- conclusively proven wrong so she just sort of backtracked a bit and uh, it sort of went on to the, the alcohol element um, but also in that very same issue in the next page it's revealed that the female character is actually not wasn't drunk at all like her physiology prevents her from being drunk and so she was actually fully rational and, and aware of everything that was going on um, so the very issue that she was complaining about proves her wrong from the start Yet she still felt the need to go onto this whole, you know, firing thing. It was kind of weird. A lot of people picked up on this, and a lot of people actually also responded with anger. But quite a few of those people now have actually apologised hmm. because, yeah, because it's there in the very issue that the character is twenty three years old. It's just that when she made an early appearance, she was twelve. Yeah, probably looked a bit younger due to John Romita's artwork. Yeah, but really, in the issue itself, it states she's twenty three, and the yeah, so. Given that so many people misunderstood, maybe it could have been drawn or written better in the first place. I haven't well, seen it, but I'm just I'm just thinking from the back. If it, if it was very clear, then nobody would have misunderstood. Look, I don't want to mention a name, but just I, just, I, just, I think basically this this particular person doesn't like Rick Remender as a person and or yeah, as, a, as a creator this, this and basically person. personally attacked. Richard said there was more people that attacked. Oh as yeah, well. it's, it's, but they yeah. just sort of followed on from her. It's just the way the yeah. internet. It, it is a fairly standard thing that people will jump on something without necessarily um, really researching it first. He's but, my bandwagon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so. I know. I mean, when you call it, when you're calling for someone to lose their livelihood uh, just because you just don't like their stuff, it's it's a bit weird. I mean, I actually, I don't like recommenders Captain America around. I'll be honest with you. It doesn't do it for me at all. That old Dimension Z thing. But hey, I don't want him fired because of it. So come yeah. on, it's ridiculous. The easiest thing to do. If you don't like him, don't read his books. Sales will go down, and he will be replaced. That's it. That's it. Uh, yeah, and just just the last part of the final item is um, it's, it's just non-news. I just it's it's fascinating to me just how this is being picked up. But it's actually that it's Marvel has announced that Thor uh, will now be a girl. It's pretty amazing. It's there's just the reaction. This is actually this is now this is like news, like a news item. This was on Jimmy Fallon. This is on you know Fox News. This is on in the Herald Sun. This is yeah, it's just like it's all over the place. It's and it just it fascinates me to that the people who are reporting on this obviously don't read comics because we know it's not going to last. <laughs> right? It's not Thor himself has become a woman. It's it's a girl has picked up picked up the mantle. Now that's not new. I can think of at least four things off the top of my head where that's occurred. So I mean, well, surely there's more than that. Well, let's um, not forget Thor Girl, yeah, <laughs> who, right, who currently exists. It's all going to come. It's all going to change by the time Avengers Two comes out. So you've got till April 2015 to be excited about it because he'll be back. There's no denying it, and you know I'm not saying that character won't stick around, but you know, mm. definitely, it definitely he'll be, he'll come back. So they complain about this, but you know, in Earth X, where 
Thor actually does become a woman. Yeah. Because he's been tricked by Loki. No, not a blip. No, no. no that's, well, that's, that's an alternate reality story, so that doesn't count. It which definitely is a standard counts. argument. I mean, even in the... In the uh, anyway, it's, it's, but it, the, the, the reason that I think that people are getting so excited about it is because of this new sort of push towards um, having... Uh, you know, a female influence on in the comic world, and in in that case, I I, I I encourage it, right? It's actually it's it's a good thing, you know, to have you know a female voice, and that's cool. You know, is you have you want multiracial, you want multi gender, you want you diversity, know, you want diversity. That's the word I'm trying to think. Of. Thank you, Richard. <laughs> and, uh, and and that's awesome. That is awesome. That is really really cool. But I just I don't understand why it. It's such the hoopla that it is. It's like it's just it's well, it blowing keeps, me away. It keeps Marvel in the zeitgeist, doesn't it? Exactly that's right. Exactly yeah. what they want. You got you talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's the same with the, um, you know, the announce. Not not so much the fact that Sam Wilson is taking over as Captain America, and we're getting, well, actually, our second Black Captain America. Yeah, I know how people say it's, like, oh, it's our first ca- African American Captain America. It's like, no, it's not. No, it's not. The very first one was. That's right. The truth, <laughs> you know, but um. You know, Marvel didn't announce it at San Diego Comic-Con. They didn't announce it on their website or anything like yeah. that. They announced it on Stephen Colbert's Colbert Report, which yeah. is basically their way of, as uh, Crystal yeah. says, getting themselves you know, into the zeitgeist and, and actually creating the new story. Yeah, yeah. And I think this because is Stephen just... Colbert's a big Captain America fan. Yeah. You know when they yeah. announced the female Thor thing? On The View. <laughs> well, the they... View, for crying out loud. Well, they're the view they're has a masters strong, of marketing. They know what they're right. doing. Yeah, so it's, it's, yeah. it's just, I mean, it's an all-female yeah, talk absolutely. show. So they announced that Thor's become a girl. Marvel they're geniuses. I don't know it's more. It's Marvel subsidiary of Disney, yeah. masters of marketing. Yeah. Does that yeah. mean just, that Thor is now a Disney princess? <laughs> <laughs> well, we can't top that, so let's move on. <laughs> brilliant stuff. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yes. I wholeheartedly support Crystal's view on this matter. <laughs> Just quickly before we move on, uh, the, the last piece of item is that uh, some Doctor Who scripts were leaked uh, onto onto the internet. It was um, uh, the new the new season of uh, Doctor Who of uh, Peter, Peter Capaldi. Capaldi. It was because uh, they were getting translated to another language, and the person who was uh, like you know, it was like a Dropbox sort of account sort of deal who left them on there you know unprotected a bit a little bit too long and you know the internet being the internet they jumped on That's and huge. they them. so it's you know it's like the first five episodes or something but I mean it's a simple thing just if you don't want to be spoiled don't don't read them yeah basically <laughs> just don't read the scripts it's not a big deal I saw that they were there and went you know what no I had them sent to me and I was like <laughs> delete I mean it's like you know I, mean, I actually don't even like New Who but and even then I was like well I'm just not going to bother reading this. I'd rather just, see the episodes as, you know, as yeah. they're actually aired. Yeah. Maybe we're just getting cynical in our old age. I know, I think we're is. just getting old. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I look at it, you know, I've seen Thor replaced at least, what, four times now. I've seen Captain America replaced multiple times, you know. It's just, <laughs> uh, it's like, yeah. You it's know. the whole Superior Spider-Man thing all over again. Yeah. It's like, it's not going to last. Yeah. Make Sam Wilson Captain America in Captain America 3 and see how people react. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Yeah. Stay tuned for Captain America 3. Although he's too, he's too cool as a Falcon in the movies. It's too soon in the movies. Too soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the Black Widow of Captain America. <laughs> no, that's that's how they should have... That would work, the, man. That's how they should have taken out the internet in Transcendence. Oh, started trans- that rumour and everybody would have gone... <laughs> hey, I've got an idea. Why don't they make every character in Captain America 3 Captain America except Captain America? <laughs> he's because, he becomes a Black Widow. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. Uh, anyway, let's move on. With the swiftness of a deadly cosmic ray, the Earth is invaded by indestructible moon monsters. Their ghastly mission, 
death for all humans. Robot Monster brings you an actual preview of the devastating forces of our future that will terrify you with their brutal reality. There is no escape from me, fool humans. Uh, so let's move on to our reviews. Now we've got a bit of a theme for our reviews uh, this episode. Um, we're actually going to be doing our favourite bad movies. Uh, because, uh, all, as our regular listeners will know, I'm a big fan of uh, bad, <laughs> good, bad movies. I love that stuff. It's my favourite genre. I know it's not officially a genre, but I don't care. I'm making it. <laughs> yes, ladies, and he's taken. So let's start off with Luke and uh, Manos, Hand of Fate. Cool. Now, I know under these circumstances, it's sort of a bit de rigueur to go to the fallback position in these in these situations, which is Plan 9 from Outer Space. Yeah. You know, we, we all acknowledge that Ed Wood made an abysmal film. Yeah. Okay. It, it's a classic. It's poorly, a classic of the genre. Poorly acted, poorly directed, poorly written, poorly edited. It does, however, have a little bit of heart, and, it, and in spite of its flaws, it's still a little bit watchable. So to find something that's genuinely bad... It's even worse than Plan 9 from Outer Space. You, you, you tend to scrape the bottom of the barrel. So I've gone with something that's, by definition, far, far worse. Um, now, it's, it's not one that you're going to find uh, easily. You might you probably find it on YouTube, but um, for a long time that was actually out of um, circulation. And, um, and the film is, from 1966, Manos, The Hand of Fate. The film is terrible, but the story about the film is actually more interesting than the film. It's about how the film was made is more interesting than the film itself. It starts off... It's, it is about a family on holiday trying to get to their, their vacation destination. They're driving through the backwaters of America. They do, however, in spite of the father's protestations, they do get lost. They find themselves at an, at a, an, old, an old... Not quite abandoned, an old house somewhere in the Midwest attempting to look for directions to get them all back on the right track where they meet Torgo. Now, Torgo's first appearance is he's wet, we see him, he's a bearded gentleman with sort of strange eyebrows, wearing uh, a slouch hat, but he has this really strange walk, to the point where he can't even make it two steps without almost falling over. And he has this really strange way of talking. They're sort of the, yes, the master is home, that, that sort of thing. Eventually he, released, he, he tells them that the house is actually owned by the master. An old uh, demon worshipping, god worship, god worshipping person who was sort of a bit of a local figure figure in the community. To cut a lot, to cut a really long story short, because really there's not much to this story. Cut a long story short, they attempt to bring the family into the master's into the master's domain. It is without a doubt one of the worst Dracula knockoffs that's not starring a character called Dracula that I've ever seen. This started the reason why this film got made is that um, the writer, director, producer, and star of it, um, Harold, is a guy called Harold P. Warren, who was an insurance and fertilizer salesman in El Paso, Texas, where the film was made. He also worked with his local community, uh, local theater community, and they often did, you know, walk-on bits for mo- movies and TVs that were, um, that were filming in the area. One of which was Route 66, which was a television show from the 60s. He got into a conversation with noted screenwriter Sterling Silifant, who was there visiting at the time. And he made a bet with Sterling Silliphant. Sterling Silliphant said that it is tough to actually make uh, a ho- it is tough to make a film. And Harold P. Warren said, "No, it's not. No, it's not. I can do it. I'll make a bet. Want a bet? Want a bet?" So they make a bet. Harold P. Warren then att- then basically scribbled down the idea for this film on the back of the napkin in the very same bar 
where he had where he made this bet with Sterling Silliphant, he then goes and tries to make the film. This is an insurance and fertilizer salesman attempting to prove himself up there with, you know, guys like Orson Welles and Well as fertilizer salesman, I think he's eminently qualified. <laughs> well as you're, you're going on fire to, this episode. As you're going to see, the the one upshot of this of this is he actually does win his bet. <laughs> well he did make the film. He, he did say it would film. be a good film. That's um, right. Okay, this was made on a budget of nineteen thousand dollars. Um, it was shot on a 16mm um, uh, Bell and Howell camera. That sort of camera is, in fact, hand-cranked. Oh, oh so you can hear it. So not just no, hear no, it. This must be incredibly tiring. Incredibly tiring, but it could only shoot 32 seconds of film at a time. <laughs> oh, my god! So you're gosh. constantly having to reload the camera. It is effectively a large home video recorder. That is a thirty-two seconds. Thirty-two seconds of film. That's all they were able to get in, a, in get it at one at one point. So there's not a lot of there, which is unfortunate because there are a lot of long takes in this film. That's insanity. Um, and that, but it also <laughs> led to one of the other big problems that this film has, which is a huge heap of editing issues. Yeah, cuts just don't make sense. Still going. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. it's a jigsaw puzzle, basically. It is a jigsaw, it is a jigsaw and puzzle. And some pieces yeah. are in the wrong place. They, they often cut back to characters, but the characters are doing nothing. Like, mm. they'll just be sitting there, and then they'll cut back to the next scene again. It's hilarious. But, see, the, uh, and it also, like, because it couldn't actually record sound, um, because of the type of camera it is, they had to dub the sound in later on, including all the voices. There are some 10 to 12 characters in this film. The voice dubbing was done by four people only. Uh, Harpy Warren, Tom Naiman, who plays the master in the story... Deborah Marley, who plays Tom's uh, Harold P. Warren's wife in the film, and Harold P. Warren's real-life wife, Norma, doing the voices of ten characters, including the seven-year-old girl accompanying them on the vacation. Now, needless to say, uh, Jackie Naiman, when she went upon viewing the film, was quite distraught that her voice sounded like a 28-year-old 20, woman. This is genius. <laughs> this is an abysmal film. Torgo, um, which is actually kind of a sad story, and I want to talk about this because it's actually kind of a sad story. John Ryan, John Reynolds, the guy playing Torgo, it's sort of a, a bit of a myth that his character is meant to be a satyr, which doesn't get acknowledged in the film anyway. Because you sit there, once you realise that you're going, hang on, why do they not comment on you know his legs or anything like that? He has this really strange way of walking. They created a system where they put into his trousers a metal framework. So it sort of looked like that his legs were backwards. Attempted to give him a sort of a, an otherworldly look. However, he was in such pain from that from the metal rigging that he self-medicated. And a lot of the crew say that he self-medicated using LSD. And and sadly, unfortunately, this led to him actually, you know, it's he was in a lot of pain, and it led to him committing suicide two months after the film was film was shot. Oh, that's disgraceful. That's mm. a bad film. That's yeah. This is um. Well, you know, you've taken away all my joy from this film, dude. Torgo actually has something of a cult following yeah. now online. Like, of all the characters, he's in this definitely film, the best character. Yeah, yeah of, all the, uh, of all the of all the of all the characters in this film, Torgo is the one who sort of made a bit of a splash online. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you can get like Torgo T-shirts and everything these days. Yeah, he's awesome. Mm. Um, and look, like like I said, the the film itself is absolute rubbish. It's got some of the worst dialogue I've ever read, uh, I've ever heard. It has some unbelievably strange scenes. For instance, at one point they are trying to sacrifice Torgo. However, it doesn't look like they're trying to, you know, sacrifice him on an altar with knives or strangle him to death. It looks like they're giving him a full-on body massage. <laughs> there is even a scene where the wives later on, when they're fighting over who is going to be the first wife in the, in the scenario, so suddenly they've all become Mormons, they start to wrestle. 
this wrestling doesn't just go for two it's, seconds. They it's cut away. Favorite scene. They cut away the, to what some of the other characters are doing. You know, being terrorized by the master. Cut back. The woman is still wrestling. <laughs> cut away. Cut back. The woman is still wrestling. <laughs> it goes, it, what should take about two minutes goes for about fifteen. Feels like it goes for about fifteen. And then this issue's got this film's got timing all over the shop, and it's also got filming problems and lighting problems. There's a moment where two police officers, in an attempt to investigate some gunshots, go gunshots. Take two steps. Oh no, we can't. They turn away simply because there's no light. <laughs> I could go on and on about the making of the making of this film. It sort of floundered in floundered underground for a long time. It had a couple of maybe cheap release, cheap knockoff, cheap knockoff releases on video, and that's how the Mystery Science Theater Three Thousand guys got it. If you do see this film, get the Mystery Science Theater Three Thousand version of it because it is probably the only way that you're going to be able to enjoy the film in any sort of capacity. Yeah, I give this zero looks. <laughs> uh, so next up we've got Richo with Robot Monster. Now, I've actually approached this a little bit differently to Luke. Luke's actually gone looking for something so abysmally bad that you actually wouldn't want to watch it. I, on the other hand, went looking for a film that is so enjoyably bad that I, I'd never get tired of watching this movie. Yes, Robot Monster is a 1953 Let's call it a B movie and be generous. <laughs> Come on, it's an A. <laughs> it's directed by Phil Tucker. Now, um, Phil is known for such classics as Cape Canaveral Monsters. Uh, Cape um, Canaveral Monster. Brilliant. Strips Around the World, uh, Tijuana After Midnight. I mean, each one of these <laughs> movies is a classic. <laughs> but uh, there is literally none better than Robot Monster. Now, the story of Robot Monster is fairly simple. Um... Roman, from the planet Roman, has been sent by Roman, on the planet Roman, to actually come to Earth and wipe out the population. Don't think they ever really say why they're doing this, but, you know, when you're a Roman, you've got to have something to do with your spare time. Um, so, Roman, from the planet Roman, comes to Earth and unleashes atomic radiation that wipes out the entire population of the Earth except for six people. So, Roman has to... Um, Basically take out these six survivors, who are a family. And they're almost almost basically your standard 1950s, you know, atomic family. There's um, there's the man, there's the woman, there's the woman's father, and there's two children. Now, none of these characters are really all that important, except that they're there to, you know, for Roman to actually fight against. But of course, as is always the case in these kind of movies... When Roman is given the job of wiping them all out, he decides he's going to wipe them all out, except the girl. Because, you know, Roman's looking for love in all the wrong places. Did they miss the C-E off the end of Roman? <laughs> well, he's a bit of a romantic uh, figure. So so anyway, so Roman basically then spends the rest of the movie trying to wipe these people out, whilst also trying to not kill the girl, whilst... Roman on the planet Roman is constantly talking to him, telling him that he has to kill everybody. Then at one point he decides it's time to unleash the dinosaurs. <laughs> Which is basically just using stock footage from a much, much earlier film with animated dinosaurs for no reason. Like, there's really no no real... Uh, yeah, other than clearly, you know, the director found this footage and went, you know what, I could reuse this. And then worked out some way for Roman to do that. Now, we've got to talk a bit about Roman. Because there is no greater monster in the history of cinema than Roman. He is basically a guy. Uh, the guy's name is George Barrows. 
the actor. George Burroughs is wearing a gorilla suit with a diving helmet and TV antenna on top. He is just hilarious. He is the dumbest looking monster I've ever seen in a film. And the cheapest dumb looking monster I've ever seen in a film as well. Surprised Doctor Who never picked that one up. <laughs> no, 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 no. Doctor Who has, you know, class and taste and interesting aesthetic design compared to Roman. That's right. <laughs> Roman also has, other than, because he's, he's living in a cave at this point. And he has a machine that he like a TV screen thing that he contacts the other with the bubbles. On. He also has a billion bubbles machine. So every time you see him in his cave, there are just bubbles everywhere for no reason. Absolutely none whatsoever. <laughs> it's just this machine that just constantly pumps out bubbles. No, there's a there is a reason for it. They had no budget, and they needed something to say. This guy's an alien. <laughs> so no dry ice in the, for the budget. No, there's no, no, no dry ice. Actually, I like to believe it's not mentioned in the script and even alluded to, but I like to believe that the bubbles somehow enhance the atmosphere and make it easier for him to breathe or something. You know, you're giving this much more thought than the uh, makers of the film clearly did. But um, look, first of all, what's great about this film? The ludicrousness of Roman, mm. the ludicrousness of Roman's plot, the absolutely hokey and ridiculous dialogue. Like, there are just so many classically bad lines in this film, including, you know, the classic, You're nothing but a big, mean bully! No, I will kill you. <laughs> and um, there's a great moment where he kidnaps the girl, takes her back to his cave, and um, starts wrapping rope just randomly around her, cuts back to the humans, cuts back to Roman, she's completely tied up. Um, I must, but I cannot. Yes, I must, but I cannot. This is his. He, there's at one point where Roman actually has to struggle because he's been ordered to kill the girl, but he doesn't want to. And he's, you know, I must, but I cannot. How does one calculate that? Where do must and cannot meet on the graph? Look, it's it's just one it's hilarious. Very profound. Look, it's, this film is one hilarious moment after another. It's so much so that it's actually funnier than most comedies. The fact that the director is trying to be completely serious just makes it that much worse. On an interesting note, though, I mean, the film was made for $16,000. It's a very, very cheap budget at the time. But it actually made a million dollars at the box office in the US. Yeah, technically, that's actually quite a successful movie at, at the, the end of the day. At the time? Or? At the time, yeah. Yeah, so... Really? Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. So there you go. People that actually went out of their way to go and see Phil Tucker's Robot Monster. And you should as well, because seriously, you will not find a funnier, bad science fiction movie than this one. And unlike Manos, you can actually buy it on DVD import yep. after imported, unfortunately. Yeah, which give, I did. Yeah, give it a shot. It's it's well worth it. You'll you'll get hours of fun just laugh. Well, actually, it's only sixty six minutes. You'll get one hour and six minutes of fun laughing at this movie and at the glory that is Roman from the planet Roman. Sounds like it would be a good night of the Esther if they put it on. Yeah, yeah they've actually have. Um, the first time night. I saw it was yeah that and Plan Nine from Outer Space as a double. <laughs> Punishing yourselves. Well, um, look, no honestly, Brit. no, because because like I said, Robot Monster, it is hilarious. Like you just do not stop laughing at this movie. It's gold. Oh, look, I'm going to give it uh, for entertainment value. It's a four out of. It's a four Luke's, I think. It's a five out of five for me. It's actually yeah. my favorite bad movie. Yeah, it's, it's just gold. It's genius. Uh, so next up, we've got Crystal and The Room. The Room is a film from, as we say, it's the most recent one. That's 2003. Um, I'll, re- I'll read you the little blurb that's IM- on IMDb. Uh, Johnny is a successful banker who lives happily in a San Francisco townhouse with his fiancée, Lisa. 
You're tearing me apart, Lisa! <laughs> One day, inexplicably, she gets bored of him and decides to seduce Johnny's best friend, Mark. From there, nothing will be the same again. Now, that's probably as coherent a plot as you're going to get from this film. <laughs> I've only seen it the once, but basically, it's... it's. Look, I've seen a lot of bad films um, sharing a house with our host here, David. But this is the... Maybe I don't know if say the worst bad film or the best bad film I've ever seen because it's it just it's it looks like students have put this together in <laughs> high school. <laughs> um, Tommy, is it Wiseau? Tommy was Tommy Wiseau has put this film together and, and and it's a serious attempt at putting a film together. Yeah, he's spent he, he's spent like a ridiculous amount of money. It's on his this film. life's work, and he's yeah. real. And he, he's not only he put it together; he's he's the star of the film. He cannot act. <laughs> not even close. Not to even acting. close. Not, not, not pretend, he is seriously. He's like a little kid who's reading lines. He cannot. He cannot act. In fact, little kids can act better than he. <laughs> <laughs> he cannot act. The reason I thought of this film again, not only because is it the worst bad film I've ever seen or the best bad film I've ever seen, but the the co-star Mark Sestero has actually just recently brought out a book about it called. The Disaster Artist, My Life Inside the Room, The Greatest Bad Movie Ever Made. So he's written a book that describes the making of the film. And like it was with Luke's movie, the, probably the story behind the film is more interesting than the actual film itself. Although I do highly recommend watching it if you are like these guys and into bad films because it's just... It's unbelievable. I, I was stunned watching this film. <laughs> I learned more about filmmaking watching this film than I did watching... Citizen Kane, for instance, because there's a good film put together well. If a film's put together well, you're just sort of sitting there absorbed in a story and watching it. This, I could see where the lighting was bad. I could see where the directing was bad. I could see where the acting was bad. I could see all the bad bits in it, and and, and it's just... How um, not to make a film. How not to make a film 101. <laughs> <laughs> what, a, what a story seems to be about this is that Tommy Weiss, who apparently just just couldn't see it. Like, he couldn't see how bad this film was. And, um, there's, I don't know if this is true or not, but the, there was a story that he actually fired his crew at one point because they couldn't understand his creative vision well, and had we'll to bring a new to, crew in. And like, We'll have to read Greg's book to find out, I guess. I don't really know what she has to say about this book. I, mean, I can't go in and describe the plot for you because there is none. <laughs> uh, the, it, it, it's like... I know we've I've said before in some films where that it looks like they've put that in just for the coolness factor. Let's do this because it'll be cool. I think that's the whole bent behind this film. Let's let's play football in tuxedos because it'll be cool. <laughs> it's, just, it's just bizarre the way the dialogue. Oh my god! It's just whenever his best friend Marks walks walks into the room, he goes. Ah, Mark. <laughs> hi, hi, Mark. Hi, Mark. <laughs> I didn't hit her. I didn't. I swear, I swear I didn't hit her. I didn't. Oh, hey, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> There's one point when, when Lisa says that she's um, got breast cancer and then... Lisa's mum. Well, Lisa's mum's got breast cancer. Then you never hear about it. Ever. <laughs> it's never mentioned again. It's never mentioned That's, again. Because uh, funny enough, I've not actually seen the room, but I... <laughs> There's a part of me that really wants to. Oh, you have to. Oh, you've um, got to see it. And, there's, and there's when there's when his mother-in-law, you know, reveals she's got breast cancer. Does he, you know, respond with his little, <laughs> little laugh that he does? I can't no. remember how he responds. Yeah, he actually to be doesn't. She, he doesn't know about it. It's revealed to Lisa, and oh, then they talk. Right. And immediately after it, they talk about going shopping to buy her a new dress. That's it, and then, <laughs> and then you never hear about it again. Never mentioned again. Oh. I've got a potentially life-threatening illness. Now let's go shopping. <laughs> 
the thing that really gets me about this film is it Tommy's dead serious about making this film. Yeah. It's his it's his life work and and sometimes I feel a bit bad laughing at it because he's put all his heart and soul into this film and it's just... Well, don't, don't feel too bad because he now markets it as a uh, comedy. Yeah, but he, I think he thinks that people are caught following it because it's a brilliant film. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sure don't he does. Don't feel too bad because, uh, from what I hear, he's actually a pretty nasty person. He's actually not very nice. <laughs> I don't think he's all there. <laughs> I think he's all there. Pretty much sums it up. <laughs> now, I always rate my my films on enjoyment scale rather than the quality of the film so I give this one three looks and I highly recommend if you see it see it with a group of friends (laughs) (laughs) and then buy the t-shirt after it like we did yes you're tearing me apart (laughs) I haven't seen the film either but having seen the trailer on YouTube the tearing me apart Lisa bit is just gold (laughs) cool awesome well, uh, like, like I said at the start, I, I, I want to do this, this sort of theme uh, because it is, it's, it's my favourite sort of type of film is uh, the bad movies that are actually enjoyable. I love them. I prefer to watch a good bad movie than an actual like blockbuster. Welcome to my world, people. <laughs> yeah. we're, um, we're David and I have actually had like all Scarecrow movie nights before <laughs> where we just got all these killer Scarecrow films out. We've still got one more Scarecrow film to watch. We haven't watched I know. It. So uh, that, that's, the kind of, that's the kind of world that David lives in. <laughs> um, so my favourite, as I mentioned, my favourite is Robot Monster. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Uh, but Richo took that. Um, I was then going to go with Manos Hand of Fate, but Luke took that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I didn't want to go with the room. <laughs> it's like taking candy from a baby. It is. Um, so I had to think of some of, you know, some of the other sort of bad, enjoyable films that I've watched you know, through my life. So, I mean, there was The Last Dragon, Roadhouse, <laughs> The Last Action Hero, uh, Howard the Duck. And he's watched uh, all of them again. Action Jackson uh, <laughs> and uh, the, the classic Deathbed, the bed that eats. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, but I eventually settled on the absolute classic, Troll 2. Can I just say, Action Jackson wasn't that bad because my uncle was in it. It's not It's not any and good that, just because your uncle's in it. That no, makes it good. It's, it's <laughs> yes, a terrible, Crystal's uncle terrible is in that movie. Film. It's terrible, but I love it. It's, it's hilarious. But... Uh, <laughs> I watched it yesterday. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> I decided to go with Troll 2 because young Bo mentioned it uh, a couple of episodes back because he watched the documentary called Best Worst Movie, uh, which details sort of the making of Troll 2 and, and sort of how it's sort of, together. Yeah, how it's sort of gone from there. And I've, I saw that documentary as, as well. Actually, the documentary is actually not that good, I'll be honest with you. But the film that, that's based on Troll 2 is absolute genius. And when I say genius, I mean terrible. Yeah, first let's just, let's just start off with Troll Two. Is actually has no relation to Troll One. <laughs> so that's that's no never a good start. Anyway, and it actually doesn't have any trolls in it. <laughs> it's, 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 the ba- the main bad guys are actually goblins. Uh, <laughs> it's just called Troll Troll Two because I thought that's sort of the cashier on the on the thinner. So um, it's directed by Claudio Fragasso, who's an Italian director, and uh, he's directed like a heap of stuff, like forty films or something. Um, but he speaks just very minimal English, uh, and uh, his partner Rosella Drudy as uh, the writer of the film, and also speaks very minimal English. And it's like the entire crew. Uh, that were were Italian. Be, all the actors are all Amer- American, and so they had like quite a lot of culture clash. Apparently, <laughs> so it was really hard sort of getting directions and stuff. At one point, all the goblins who are little pl- are played by little people uh, were told to uh, walk up the stairs, like follow me up the stairs. But they're in the middle of a forest, and there is no stairs. 
And so they're all like, <laughs> they're looking around like, but it, 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 it actually meant, you know, just follow me up the hill. So it was, it was kind of weird. This film actually has a zero on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, which I actually think is, is an injustice because in terms of the way, I mean, like, like we've mentioned, we, we rate films on not just, you know, how good the film itself is, uh, but how much we enjoy it. This is a five out of five in enjoyment. This is just, this brilliant from start to finish. The directing is terrible. The acting is atrociously bad. Uh, the everything else about it, the lighting, editing, but even worse, the story just actually just doesn't make any sense. When the direct documentary was made, this film had a zero on IMDb, but it's actually now got it's gone up to two point six, <laughs> mainly because of just the extra attention that this film has got. Uh, so just give you a brief a brief idea about the story itself. Like I said, nothing to do with Troll One. So if you've seen that, and I pity you, then uh, it, it doesn't follow on. But uh, it's basically a a, a city family are going to do a sort of a, a swap with a country family you know, in, during their vacation in order to sort of learn about country life and stuff like that. So they arrive at this, uh, at this uh, the country town. The country town is called Nilbog, and, and the, the family's there. And, the fam- and everybody in Nilbog is all just creepy as hell. They look like pod people. And, uh, you know, the, the country people disappear. Sorry, I just got Neil Bond. <laughs> That's just we'll get, what we'll get, they did we'll there. get to that in a second. And so they, they, they go into the, into the house that they're, they're meant to be staying in in the country. And there's food laid out. And all the food looks creepy automatically, right? So the town's creepy. The food looks creepy. It all has like sort of a greeny sort of icing on it. Basically, everything's green. Um, and uh, that, that turns out to be vitally important to the plot. <laughs> because uh, the, the young boy... Uh, he has an imaginary friend who is his dead grandfather, and the grandfather stops them, uh, stops him from eating the food, like warns him to, against eating the food because that eating the food turns you into a part plant meat hybrid that the goblins can then eat because they're all vegetarians. <laughs> what? Yeah, exactly right. What? <laughs> so, so the, the grandfather stops him, and the, and the, the kid can't decide. This is this, this is classic scene number one. Is the kid can't decide what to do to do to stop the family who are about to, because they're hungry. They're about to start eating, and uh, so Grandpa t- stops time. Not explain how he manages to this feat, but he stops time. He's got you've got nine. You've got nine seconds to figure out what to do. So the kid's agonizing, and this is in real time. <laughs> this kid's agonizing. Just, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? His, his genius decision is he urinates on all the food. <laughs> and then it then yeah. cuts to the... Uh, you, you don't see it. It cuts away from the urination. But then it cuts to the second classic scene, which is the father, who is uh, played by the, the awesome George Hardy, um, who uh, is a dentist. <laughs> so he's gone on to become a dentist. But uh, he's, he's, a, he's a lovely man. He just seems like a really nice man. Anyway, so it cuts to the next classic scene of, of the father taking the, the son up to, to, to the bedroom to punish him. Um, and uh, he then he says the name. Uh, he says the classic line, you know, food being laid out for you is hospitality, and you don't piss on hospitality. I won't allow it. <laughs> it's just absolutely gold. I and, see what uh, he did there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's I mean, it's, it's just it's classic scene after classic scene of of just ridiculousness. I mean, the plot doesn't make any sense. Um, there's uh, the goblins are controlled by this witch lady. Um, who who channels the power of the stone from Stonehenge? Not one of the actual hinge, Stonehenge stones themselves. Well, at least I don't think so, because it just looks like a paper, paper mache, you know, spinal tap style. <laughs> but, it's, uh, uh, but it could be. I don't know. Who, who knows? But basically, she channels the power from that in order to control the goblins, who then you know eat 
eat people and stuff. I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense, like I said. But it is, for it just pure enjoyment, it is comedy gold. And uh, I highly recommend it. The other, the other, I just want to just very quickly just mention the other classic seeds. The main, well, I'm actually a bit confused now because I don't know if it's the main bad girl who does it. Because like the goblins can transform themselves into attractive ladies, and uh, of course they and, can. Uh, and st- and um, so the main bad girl, girl transforms herself into the sort of really attractive Kate Bush type, you know, siren, uh, who then tries to seduce one of the teenage boys, and she does so by trying to get him to eat. Because as soon as you eat, you start to transform. And she puts the cord. She's got a cord cob. She goes, "Don't you want to eat this lovely cord cob?" And he's like, "Well, not really, <laughs> but I do really like popcorn." And so. She puts the popcorn, the put the puts the corn cob in his mouth, and then she bites the other side of the the, the corn cob, and then suddenly you just get these people, and you don't see, you don't ever see that see their hands, but it's clearly what they're doing is they're just throwing popcorn <laughs> off screen <laughs> onto them, which is meant to be the corn cob. I, I don't know, it's just, it's genius. <laughs> and then, uh, at one point, one of the teenage boys is surrounded by all the goblins, like there's a lady being chased through the woods that he tries to help quite nicely and is surrounded by all these goblins and he screams out please let's talk we're all humans here no (laughs) (laughs) the the the, to fight them off the young boy has a uh, double decker pastrami sandwich (laughs) and they're scared of meat and uh and he's like he goes to eat some of the meat and uh within the the bad guys like like think about the cholesterol Was this funded by the American Association for Red Meat? Uh, no, actually, well, it's actually funny you say that because uh, Rosella Drudy reveals that the reason she made all the bad guys vegetarians, even though she didn't knew it wasn't all that scary, is that at that time she was writing the story, all her friends had suddenly gone vegetarian and like really annoyed her because she was a meat eater, and so you had to have that sort of, well, I'm going to eat meat while everybody else is eating vegetarian, and they were, they were all very sort of psychopathic about it. Mm. Meat is murder and stuff. So in revenge, she made all the bad guys vegetarians. As you do. Even though it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what she did. Just for the fun of it. I won't, I won't, I won't go on a little bit. It's, it's basically Child 2. Is, uh, it's not up there in enjoyment as, uh, as Robot Monster in terms of... I mean, Robot Monster is, is enjoyably bad in that it has... I mean, it gives you nice nice feelings. You feel happy watching it. Yeah. Troll 2 is a laugh riot. But I actually felt kind of dirty when it was finished. <laughs> I was like, why did I watch this? But uh, it is uh, enjoyable, enjoyable stuff. But and like I said at the start, it's uh, zero out of five in terms of production. Uh, but five out of five for enjoyable. So that's uh, our best bad movies. That was a good topic. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. So let's move on. Uh, so for our top five, we've got top five life lessons that we've learnt from the movies. It's our movies one hundred and one. So we're going to start with Crystal. Alright, I'll go for this episode, just to be different, I'm going one to five instead of five to one. <laughs> the number one thing I've learned from movies, well this is more so from T V sitcoms rather than movies, and probably from observing people in general everyday life, but you get to see couples interact more on a sitcom because you're not with other couples every day of your life. Well she's winners. <laughs> yeah it is. I knew it was coming. <laughs> yeah, but why you want to reference that movie is beyond me. Exactly. Um, so this is, this is a life lesson I've learned, and I think it's a good one. I think forget the silent treatment. If you're in a disagreement with your partner, you should never assume your partner knows what he or she has done wrong. Okay, it might be blindingly obvious to you, but your partner's not a mind reader, so simply just telling your partner what the problem is could go a long way to resolving your conflict. But please wait at least 21 minutes before you do that so that some hijinks can ensue first. Exactly, and so it all resolves in the last five minutes. Exactly. (laughs) 
Number two, um, from one of my all-time favourite films, um, when Harry met Sally, he taught me the useful phrase high maintenance, which I use all the time. It wasn't until recently, actually, that I realised that phrase came from that film. Um, Harry says to Sally that um, there are two types of women, high maintenance and low maintenance, and Sally wants to know which one she was, and apparently she's the worst kind. She's high maintenance that thinks she's low maintenance. But there are all sorts of people from all works of life that can be high maintenance and basically hard work to deal with. Number three, just some nice everyday advice from our favourite, the dude. <laughs> Take it easy, man. <laughs> <laughs> Which is nice, a nice little mantra in your head. If you're feeling a bit stressed, take it easy, man. Actually, another little mantra in my head that I like is if somebody's coming towards me and I don't particularly want to deal with them, in my head I'm going, this is not the person you're looking for. <laughs> but while making that little wave motion with my hand. Number four, chopping onions. Now, I can't remember where I saw this. I remember watching a TV sitcom. I can't remember what sitcom it was. It was on during the day, so I'm assuming it's not, it wasn't a really well-known, high-profile one. Just one of those fill-the-time-during-the-day ones. There was a man, the husband, he decided to learn how to cook and he worked out a really good way of chopping onions without making you cry. So basically you cut the onion in half, you, chop the, you stick the fork in one end and then you slice the onion lengthways but you don't slice through the end and then you slice it the other way, basically dicing the onion and it's no cry, It's a no-cry method. I've tried it, it works and that's how I now cut my onions. <laughs> <laughs> NCP teaching you how to chop onions. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, Number five is um, from Patrick Stewart himself in his appearance in The Family Guy. <laughs> when they're attending the annual Quahog Star Trek convention and, um, of course, the questions that get fired at the cast are nothing to do with Star Trek. And somebody asks, oftentimes my household sponges accumulate an awful lot of amount of build-up. What can I do to prevent this? Um, so Patrick Stewart's response is, that's an excellent question. I'm not going to do it in his voice because I can't. A, I'm a girl, and B, I just can't. <laughs> <laughs> it's very important to thoroughly wring out your sponges after every use. This would prevent the accumulation of grime and bacteria. A dry sponge is a happy sponge. <laughs> that's the bit to remember. A dry sponge is a happy sponge. <laughs> <laughs> you really went with this, didn't you? Yes. Yeah, these, these are lessons I have learnt from the movies <laughs> and use in everyday life. <laughs> All right. Next up, we've got myself. Uh, I'm minor in no particular order, uh, and I think I actually even got more than five. Uh, mafia movies, mafia type movies, have got some excellent advice for life. No one is untouchable, uh, and power does not guarantee invincibility, uh, and it also doesn't guarantee loyalty. Be firm, but be just. Really, I learned from gangster movies that if they pull a knife, you pull a gun. <laughs> and that a man, that a man when he becomes preeminent, is expected to have enthusiasms. <laughs> and I'm dead. I'm talking, about, dead. I'm talking about things that you can use in real life. Hey, hey, hey he sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. Now that's valuable life experience right there. That is so true. I should have had that. Uh, from the Shawshank Redemption, I learned that uh, no matter how careful or how respectable you are in life, the events out of your control will happen, and they're not always just. See, I learned that the best way to cover a hole in the Shawshank Redemption is to have a post of Rita Hayworth. <laughs> Why are you not taking this seriously? <laughs> this is things you can apply to real life. Not just Rita Hayworth posters. <laughs> Although that's, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from 12 Angry Men, I learned that truth is a shaky concept. 
Um, it can be bent by personal prejudices and you should also trust your gut instincts and more importantly stand up for what you think is right no matter how popular that thought might be that's an awesome film too by the way it is brilliant life isn't always fair and sometimes that doesn't make any sense so it's important to cherish every happy moment which I learnt from my girl and every other <laughs> feel good movie known to me. It's one of the more poignant uh, one of the more poignant elements of my girl. Yeah, I was gonna say you learned that from me. I did because I'm your girl. Oh, oh. <laughs> uh, my number my number one life lesson is uh, sort of alludes a little bit a little bit to uh, Crystal's the dude one, uh, which is be excellent to each other. <laughs> from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Because <laughs> really, that's all you need in life. Uh, look. Okay. Well, you know, in the spirit of this, I decided to look at specific um, movies, and these are in no particular order. So I'll just start off with rough, uh, start off from the top of my head. Uh, lesson number one: Never take a job that dire- that reports directly to Darth Vader. <laughs> <laughs> uh, number two: If your parents are going to adopt you out to the rich businessman. Take the beloved childhood toy. <laughs> it is going to save you not only just therapy bills later on, but potentially also help keep you sane in the later years of your life. <laughs> Number three. This is just this is just more of a, a general one, alluding to the genre. Um, that if you are a documentary filmmaker attempting to uncover something, you know, uh, secret government to do with a conspiracy of some kind or some dark supernatural um, folklore tale, uh, there's a good chance you're not going to survive, so perhaps think of an alternative career as well. <laughs> you're on fire, Luke. Trust me. Um, number four, if you open a gin joint in an attempt to get over feeling betrayed by your love, not turning up to accompany you out of Nazi-occupied Paris... <laughs> Don't be surprised when the love of your life walks into that said ginger. <laughs> and my fifth one, never pull a bank job with Heath Ledger. <laughs> uh, in, the, in the best case scenario, you are going to be carried out of the bank unconscious. In the worst case scenario, you're, sorry, the middle case scenario, the cops are going to shoot you. In the worst case scenario, he's got a plan where you shoot each other. And in both cases, he still walks off with the money. <laughs> Oh, jeez. Richard. Look, I'm, I'm going to do this a little bit differently because I have one. Now, the reason I have one is if I try... I'm trying to work out five. What I found was they were all... Based, they all basically come back to the same point. All right? Ooh, whether, and whether it philosophy. is... Look, whether, whether it is, you know, Robin Hood in The Adventures of Robin Hood, whether it's Luke Skywalker in Star Wars, whether it's, you know, Humphrey Bogart in many of Bogart's films or whether it's Superman... What I learned from all of these people is altruism. Actually helping people out purely for the sake of doing it and for the sake of trying to, to make others feel better. Yeah, you know, like the Superman movies and comic books of the past, the Luke Skywalker's of the world, the, the Indiana Jones, you know, they, they do these things because it's the right thing to do. And that, I think, is a really valuable lesson that I wish everybody could learn. So, Shame yeah. Shame you don't apply it in life, though. <laughs> Kick the yeah, hobo well, in the yeah. face as you walk by. <laughs> Interview with Tom Taylor from Oz Comic Con. Hi, this is David from NCP, and I'm here with Australia's own Mr. Tom Taylor. How are you doing, Tom? I'm very well, thank you. That's awesome. You're, you're pretty much uh, the poster boy for local boy makes good. 
Okay. <laughs> Do you like that? Sure. It's going to be an odd poster. <laughs> am I clothed in this poster? Am I wearing clothes? You can wear the hat. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, you can wear the hat. Good. Um, your creator in series, The Deep, um, is not only an Aurealis award winner, but it also has its own CGI animated series coming out. Um, and I believe you just announced a prequel. Yes, we haven't officially announced a prequel, but you've just said it on this podcast, so why not? <laughs> yes, there is a prequel coming, The Voyages of the Aranax, set in the 1800s. Uh, there will be a Kickstarter very soon. That is news, awesome. More news as it comes to hand. Just so do I just have a scoop? Yes, you did. Oh, an accidental scoop. An Congratulations. Accident. Oh, thank you very much. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I've, I've seen the, uh, the little poster thing for you. It looks mad. Yeah. I'm really looking forward yeah, to no, it. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Uh, and you're actually, now you're working on, for DC on Injustice, uh, which is the story behind the best-selling game, and Earth 2 with Nicholas Scott. Yes. Um, what, what happens when Injustice catches up to the storyline that's in the game? Uh, well, we're still a fair way away from that, so that's okay. I don't think we have to, we don't have to worry about that just yet. We're still in year two, and, we're, and we started five years beforehand, so ah. year three's just been announced, and yep. that's, you know, that's going to be a another year of it and then yeah. we'll worry about it if it comes to hand yeah, yeah. I, was, I was thinking you could do sort of stories that ran concurrently with it we could Tales from Injustice that's right yes I'm really really enjoying Injustice I mean I got him signed before thank you it's, uh, it's great stuff and your work on Earth 2 is magnificent I mean, some, some people said it was going to be a bit of a hard slog sort of following on from James yes um, but I think you've done it man it's, it's really really good thanks, stuff thanks man yeah no we're, we're really we're really happy with the reaction I mean particularly this week when um, our sort of exercise penultimate thing to our run came yeah. out. Yeah, I mean, the reaction to that's just been incredible. Can we, talk a, little, can we talk a little bit about issue 25? Yeah, sure. So as a long-standing long Superman fan as you, as you are, yep. what was it like to create your own Superman? Uh, absolutely surreal. It's just, I mean, it's it's an absolute dream. Yeah. It really is. Um, as, as you say, I am a lifelong Superman fan, and to create a new Superman is huge, particularly, you know, creating a black Superman as well. I mean, I'm, I'm of the opinion, uh, if you know the deep, it's about a multiracial family, yeah. um, and I'm of the opinion that everybody deserves heroes and everybody deserves to see themselves in their heroes, so I think it's really important, and it's something, that sort of diversity is something that we've had throughout Earth too. You know, we've got a Filipino Aquaman, we've got um, an Arabic Doctor Fate, like it's really important that represented in comics and in heroes. Yeah, especially with a team that is worldwide. Exactly. I mean, they're, I mean, they're just Justice League. No, that's you know. exactly it. And, and that's, I think that's really important. And I'm, and I'm so happy with the reaction to Val. I mean, he's just been embraced by fandom, which is yeah. fantastic. I can't wait to start seeing, you know, people... Yeah, he's got a great, great costume. Did you have a hand in designing the costume? Or was I it did, on actually, yeah. I mean, Nicola had a big hand in it. Um, she, she did most of it, and then um, a few other people sort of weighed in on it and stuff. And then just as it was coming out, um, I was looking at it, and it just wasn't quite working for me. So I um, I jumped on Photoshop and played and played and played, and all I really added was just the red behind the shield, because that was just going to be wow. the blue of his costume. And, it just, yeah. and I think it for a lot of people, it just sort of added that focal point that we... We needed, which is great. It's you know, it's ridiculous that the writer you know, <laughs> did that, but but that's what happened. Like it was just that cover image of 25 that I was playing with, and right. you know, played a bit. And, and Nicola and I both talked about it. And we both really wanted a very iconic-looking Superman, like a really something that wasn't too left field, too yeah. too far away from who, who Superman is. And I think we I think. We 
we found it with that costume. And, definitely and the And the use of the white and the sort of lighter blue really speaks to his innocence and, you know, the type of good that he is. So when you added the red, was the, the thinking behind it a bit of red, white and blue? It wasn't, to tell you the truth. It was just that it needed a focal point and that yeah. was the that was the bit that I think a lot of people... Once it was there, everyone just went, ah, oh, yeah, there it is. There's two know, things and, it was, to... and it was great to, that they let me do that. Oh, it's yeah. awesome. Yeah. What, that's, that's why I want to touch on that when you say, let me do that. Yeah. So the two things about Val Zod that I want to discuss is... He, he, I mean, his name is Val Zod. Yep. Is he related to General Zod in any way? Well, it's interesting because we sort of hit on his parents yep. in the last issue and... We've said that they're scientists. Yeah, and we see his mother in yeah. that shot. And, and I think we see his father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both being dragged away at one stage. Um, yeah, so it's... Yeah, he is part of the Zod family, but it doesn't yeah. mean that they're the same Zod family that you know from the prime earth. Exactly. Yeah. And there was four people who rocketed away. It was four people. We still don't That's have the fourth one in. No, in no we don't. So, you know. yeah. um, and uh, my is, when you say, let me do it, so was it your decision to make him African-American? Well, an African-American representation of Kryptonians? Well, who knows if he's African-American. I mean, yeah. it's, I'm, with the deep, we, we actually, we're very careful not to say where they're from. Gotcha. Um, and it's so that anybody can identify them with yep. them. You know, uh, with the deep, we've got an Asian mother and a black father and their two children. Yeah. And we have fans from Singapore to America to Pakistan to India to like, and because uh, we've got, uh, you know, Aboriginal fans, we've got, um, because people see themselves in it and I'm of that opinion so if you think he's an African American Superman okay but you know it doesn't mean he's from Africa or America he's from Krypton yeah. but it just happens to be the colour of his skin which um, it's and amazing. if you identify with that yeah. that's great um, yeah. but yeah but no it was I I was the one who said when I came on the book that that's what I'd like to create yeah. And that, but they went with it straight away they, they just went yeah that is so such a, that is such an awesome thing to see it's like that, that I mean, New, New 52 DC has popped a lot of flack, let's be honest. Yeah. And, but one thing that just cannot be faulted at the moment is their multiple ethic, ethnicity. So it's yeah, look, I think they're really embracing other cultures. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot of people of colour. There's a lot of, um, you know, sexual, sexual orientation's gone out the window. It doesn't... It, they're trying to cater for everybody and have everybody... Bring everybody into yeah. their world, which is exactly what you need. So in in uh, Injustice and Earth Two, you deal with uh, two, let's say, evil Superman. Yes. I actually kind of see more. I see Injustice Superman more as he's basically just a tortured soul. Yeah. Whereas Earth Two Superman, let's face it, he's, he's, a he's, gone, he's gone over the edge. He's a douche. Um, yep. He's being corrupted. And I sort of I see Earth Two Superman as kind of sort of paralleling Anakin Skywalker, Anakin Skywalker to Darth Vader sort of thing. Yeah. Going back to your Star Wars roots. Do you see it that way? And if you do, um, is there a redemption arc? Honestly, I don't want to spoil anything, right. but read issue 26 next month. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot, a lot will be answered there. You couldn't have had a better answer than that. No. I loved the dinner scene, by the way, that you had with the Kents. So funny. And, and, and Lois. It was when hilarious. I wrote that, yeah, Nicola emailed me once she got that scene. She's like, what? <laughs> are, we, just, are we really doing this? That's one of the things she that I, I really love about hilarious. your writing is that, is that sort of that knack to sort of put humour into sort of an uncomfortable situation. Uh, honestly, I don't, I don't understand writing or storytelling without humour. I, yeah. I just, I'm bored by it. Sadness.
sadness and depression and angst it can go away it's yep. pretty stuff <laughs> um it, do you find it do you do you find it though confusing a bit confusing to write two different let's say evil supermen do you find do you sort of find yourself thinking oh wait a minute earth 2 superman wouldn't do that but earth justice would sort of vice versa uh, no i jumbled. think i've had to you know I've, i can separate the characters out enough and i really need to because there's so many characters across injustice across um Across Earth 2, across other stuff I work on, like you do need to keep it all in your head, especially in Justice Earth 2, where there's two massive intergalactic wars happening at yeah, the same yeah. time with a cast of 50 in each. Like it's, yeah, Crazy. you have to get okay at that. Yeah, you you'll gotta, go mad. Get a big whiteboard. You gotta listen to all the voices in your head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> get them down on paper. Yeah. One more question, and sure. we'll get back to your fans. Okay, so it's an end, it's a it's a patented NCP question. Yep. Can sometimes be a bit of a parallel, so be ready. Okay. If you were conducting this interview, yes. what would be the one question you would want asked? What would I ask? I have no idea. I think, I think you've done very, very well. I think you've asked good, good questions. Oh, thank you very yes. much. Yes. Well, thank you very much for your time, Tom. Thank you. It's great stuff. I'm big fan of your work. Thank okay. you. Thank you. See ya. See ya. Cool, so let's uh, finish up with some coming soon. In cinemas July 24th, we get Deliver Us From Evil, starring Australia's own Eric Banner and some other guy. <laughs> uh, the Devil's Knot, which is about uh, three teenage boys who are falsely accused of a crime uh, because they just, the police just want to wrap up this, this crime really quickly, so they falsely accused... Uh, so, uh, is that based oh, on the West Memphis? Yeah, West Memphis 3. Hercules? Hercules, you Hercules! Hercules! <laughs> Hercules! <laughs> <laughs> No, not that Hercules. It's, Which uh, Alan Moore has actually said, don't go and see. Yes, because oh, of really? Steve Moore. Because um, it's based on a comic written by Steve Moore. Steve Moore wasn't credited for it, and Steve Moore's now dead. And he got no money for got it, no money and for he it. asked them to remove his name from the project, and um, they agreed, but then he died, and now they're using him to market the project. So Alan Moore's come out and said, don't go see the film. Oh, well, as Steve much as Moore I love Alan Moore, I, I love The Rock. <laughs> He's a, he's a bit of a man crush for you, The Rock. Is he? He's, he's Kevin awesome. Sorbo. Oh, yeah. now I'm actually now I'm very conflicted about this film. Re- read, I'm not. Um, it's directed just... by Brett Ratner. Oh dear God, uh, no! Really? Yes. <laughs> oh, in that case, sorry about it. It's a bumper crop for movies on this day. Uh, Mrs. Brown's Boys, the movie. Oh, that'd be cool. I, had, I started watching that show by accident. I thought I saw in the uh, ads for it, and I thought, oh, that looks terrible. But it's actually really funny, and it's very clever. And I love the way they break the fourth wall on occasions. It's just. Good job. I want to see that. Uh, we also finally get Snowpiercer, which is about a uh, nuclear winter's coming in and basically the whole world is frozen. Mm. And you've got this train that travels the world <laughs> continuously, like doesn't stop. And there's like the rest, what remains of humanity lives on this train. It's based on a comic. Um, and it's been delayed like a good couple of years. <laughs> yeah, the train's mm. been delayed. You're <laughs> <laughs> fine this episode. Well, that's what happens when Connex and Metro get involved. <laughs> uh, which stars Chris Evans. Um, and uh, we also get Still Life, which I don't know anything about. So that's it for episode 101. 101. Yay! Yay! <laughs> that's it for me and Richo. <laughs> What's his name again? <laughs> she is a human. You are a Roman. You must kill her. Luke, go on with life, life lesson. If it, if they, if we're using film as a, a history, then you know I find it interesting that no one spoke in the history of man before 1929. <laughs> Crystal, you're tearing me apart, David. Bye. Bye, Bye. now. <laughs> 
you've been listening to Nerd Culture Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email to feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com. You can write on our wall if you go to the Facebook page. Go to facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast. Tweet us at nerdculturecast. Skype us on Nerd Culture Podcast. If we don't answer, leave a message. We might even play it on the show. You can comment on any post on our website. www.nerdculturepodcast.com If you'd like to support the show, use the Amazon affiliate widget on our website to do your Amazon shopping. It doesn't cost you any extra, and a small percentage of the profit goes towards helping us to produce our show. We can see what you buy, but not who you are, so your privacy is assured. Check out our videos at ncptv.net or search for NCPTV on YouTube because we also have a YouTube channel. Don't forget, you can rate, review and subscribe to the show on iTunes. Wondering where you can hear more of Bo? Go to ecnradio.com. Bo and David also have another podcast called Film Flames. More info at www.filmflames.com. You can find all of our podcasts and more at undercastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more episodes.